Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Nebraska Soccer Talk. My name is Joe Cleary, and you might recognize my name and my voice as the former host of the Nebraska Soccer Talk podcast and co-founder of Nebraska Soccer Talk. As I have mentioned before, I no longer operate or own Nebraska Soccer Talk as I started a new position with Creighton University Athletics. Due to NCAA compliance and conflicts of interest and, frankly, available time, I had to pass on control to Jack Hoover, Owen Godberson, and Colin Goff, who have all done a fantastic job. I am stepping back in today to guest host a very important episode for a very important cause. For the second year in a row, Nebraska Soccer Talk is partnering with the Fair family to promote the Joe Fair Memorial Soccer Game. Last year, we provided advertising and support. This year, we wanted to provide advertising, support, and education. We're going to do so with two very important conversations. My, import, my first conversation will be with members of the Fair family, where we will learn about the Memorial Game, the cause, and their son, Joe. And their insight is always extremely valuable whenever I've talked with them. After that, I will have a conversation with two of my coworkers from Creighton who work with the Creighton Blue Jay student athletes, and I will introduce them more in a little bit. I may have said this too often when I hosted the podcast consistently, but both of these conversations are must-listen conversations for athletes, coaches, athletic trainers, athletic directors, strength coaches, and fans. If you're going to listen to any of the conversations I have had, make it these two. You do not have to be a soccer fan or from Nebraska to appreciate and learn from the message shared today. Before we get to the conversations, please be warned that the following conversations may contain talk of mental health, mental illness, self-harm, and suicide. These conversations may be triggering for individuals, and we just want the best for everyone who listens to Nebraska Soccer Talk. Hello, everyone. Uh, it's kicking off this special episode of Nebraska Soccer Talk. I'm very honored to welcome on uh, Doug and Debbie Fair to talk about the second annual uh, Memorial Joe Fair soccer game, as well as the cause behind the game and and their son, Joe. Um, Doug and Debbie, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. First of all, let's let's get into the game because there's been we've been posting a lot about it on social media. Um, but the game takes place this weekend. Um, final site is Westside High School. And what time does the game kick off at? Probably um well gates will open or not really gates, but eleven o'clock, but then the game itself probably will be more like eleven fifteen, eleven thirty. Okay. And then following the game, I know that uh you're hosting um at a I, I I think it's a West Side pretty favored at the casual pint um <laughs> after the game for uh kind of a live like Joe party. Yes. Very it's cool. a it's an easy it's an easy venue to roll over to and they've been very gracious. Uh, casual pine and countryside village, also kind of the neighborhood shopping center. They're donating both casual pine and countryside village are do- donating a dollar each. So two dollars per pint will go towards the AFSP team Joe Fair. So we're excited about that. Great, great donations. And it's just, it's an easy button. And uh, yeah, good stuff. Outdoor yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, And it looks like the weather's going to be good. Like we've had a hot week, but it looks like it's going to cool off to be good soccer weather too. So good weather to watch soccer in, good weather to play soccer in. We don't need um, rain. No rain. No yeah, rain. No rain. No rain. Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. The one thing that I noticed this year is is we've you've expanded even more like including the donations of from the casual pine and countryside village but you're also you've also got some um cool things that you're going to raffle off uh with the donations going towards um 
the Memorial game yeah. as a, as a, as a whole, what are some of the things that are going to be on offer to raffle off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're excited. Uh, Duncan McGuire, who is a Creighton grad and, uh, and the soccer player of the year who now plays for Orlando FC and just a, a great person and a great family donated an Orlando FC jersey, which we're going to raffle off. Um, Sporting KC is sending us a jersey to raffle off. Um, we have some things from uh, Des Moines Menace. Uh, we know some individuals there who gave us some in- things to raffle uh, we believe Union Omaha is, is donating some things as well as UNO, uh, men's soccer or, or men's soccer, and also Creighton soccer as well. So we're going to have a lot of good things that people can, soccer specific, that they can, uh, you know, who the people who love soccer can see them and touch them and and, and bid on, I'm not bid on them, but buy a raffle ticket. And again, like the, the, the Duncan McGuire is going to be a, a good one. We've had a lot of people already contact us about, you know, hey, can I just buy that from you? And like, <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a hot ticket item. Um, that's going to be a great raffle prizes, and all the prizes are. And I and I know that there's a halftime competition as well, um, yeah. at the game, which yeah, is yeah. So um, wrinkle. So, yeah, so uh, we're allowing all the players to take a hit the crossbar, you know, outside the outside the eighteen, and then uh, the participant, you know, anyone who wants to, um, you know, non-players. make an additional do- donation, a non-player. Um, for a, a very small donation can take a crack at it too and we have um, we have a if they hit the crossbar you know last year we had two people hit the crossbar um, if we have more than that you know we can we'll figure out some way to uh, you know give out a, a really nice soccer ball from um, the women's world cup this summer which We're is gonna have, we'll yeah. have one for our player that hits the i mean the fans won't necessarily be going against the players. So. Yeah, yeah, the fans will be different than the players. So again, if they're young young kids who want to do it, or maybe parents who want to do it, again, you know, for an additional donation, you know, they'll get a chance to uh, to win potentially that uh, women's uh, World Cup soccer ball from the summer, which which is a really nice ball. So uh. yeah, that's that's all. I mean, that's awesome. It's just going to be a a a great day, um, all around, like from start to finish, um. And I kind of want to get into now that we kind of know the details about it. Um, what what started the 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 thought behind uh, having uh, a, a soccer game uh, for Joe? Yeah, you know, um, when our son, uh, so our son Joe died uh, by suicide um, in 2018. Um, he had an a, an unknown, undisclosed mental illness, um, which there are lots of you know, we could talk about that forever. And, and, and we do hope to have that dialogue with people when appropriate. Um, his friends like that day were just as shocked as we were. Um, and they, they gathered at Westside field on Friday and uh, there was a game that night and they um, you know, like hundreds of people gathered. And so we thought, you know, what a better, what a great way to kind of honor Joe's name that to do the same thing. And it's taken us a while to get there, but uh um, you know, we, uh, yeah. And his college kid, his college teammates are fantastic and they, and they encouraged us. And so, well, they have, this, uh, they have a similar kind of an alumni game that they do in, in honor of Joey. And, um, they had it the first year or right after, cause they needed something like, again, he's loved all over and, um, made an impact all over it. And that was how they, they got together and, were his number and played each other alumni versus their team at the time, Drury University, their soccer team. And it was 
It's very powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. Everyone getting together and playing the game that they love, the game that Joe loves. And uh, and just like that's, you know, I mean, what that's what Joe would want to do. Get together with, you know, people who love soccer like him, his friends and his uh, co co-players. And so that's what we're doing. We're going to do it here. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's so, I, I never unfortunately had the opportunity to, to, to know Joe very well, but I know a lot of people who, who know him and, and uh, just the way they talked about him um, and the impact he made on, on so many people is so, is so great and profound. And it it's kind of nice that, that this game gets to keep bringing those people together. Um, and I I also like that it's about the awareness too to continue the talk about um, mental health and mental illness. Uh, actually, we had a conversation that I'll be playing after your interview uh, with two uh, psychologists from Creighton University, where we talk about the importance of the diet. Like, and that was like repeated over and over. Is like talking about it and making sure that like we continue to support. Uh, the people that have gone through it, but also the causes that are are trying to help like you are doing with this game. Yes. Well, that, yeah, he, um, I would say that Joey, um, I can't, I can never say enough about him, but that um, how he died is not how he lived. And um, that I just want everybody to remember that, but also that it happens. It happens to anybody and everybody. He's the last person we would have ever thought this would happen to. And I think many people, would never have thought this for Joe Riley. And, um, but again, it does happen. People need to talk about it. That's like the most important thing is that starting to be aware of it in yourself, talk about the signs in yourself, talk about the signs in others, and also just talk about life. Like life is not picture perfect. Like you see on social media, there's so many challenges and there's the good, the bad, the ugly, and we're living a nightmare forever we're living that ugly that's for sure but we will talk about joey forever because again he is not the ending he loved life more than anybody i know and i'll talk more and more i could talk forever about him and i can never say enough but yeah we much. we want people we don't want this to ever happen to anybody else and it's happening much too often and anyways yeah I, I would add joe that um you know like on the preventative side you know like people do need to talk about it be more open about it it doesn't need to be shoved under the rug um, and, uh, you know, people, we, Debbie and I talk about, you know, people should maybe have a baseline conversation with a professional counselor every year, whether it's your, your personal physician who has expertise in that area or to go see a specialist and just kind of check in, you know, like, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. So that if they do reach a point that they need extra assistance, they're comfortable with that process and, uh, and comfortable talking to somebody, you know, we all, you know, our parents, as parents, you know, Debbie and I, like, we were there, you know, we were there for him. And we, right. of course, we were, but, you know, for he, he was away at college. He right? was away at college and he needed someone in it, in that community to talk to him uh, about what he was struggling with. And, um, you know, we hope that, you know, by talking about it here today, and we appreciate you, Joe, doing this, that other people will have that conversation and let people know that those support systems are out there. Yeah. And I, and I, I appreciate you all coming on and allowing me into the, into your circle last beginning of last year to help, help with this game and be involved um, in this cause and, and get to know Joe a little bit better from, from you two um, instead of, you know, I, obviously uh, I had coaches that I knew that had coached him and then uh, some of the families that I knew who had told me about, about him and, and how he was, but I, I do appreciate 
your willingness to talk about because I can't even imagine how hard it is at times. Um, and unfortunately, like you said, it's it's happened. It happens, and it's happened to to other student athletes and to other young people. And and the more we talk about it, the more we we raise funds for the uh, for organizations like the AFSP and 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 other things like that. The more we can get resources to anyone who's struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is the second leading um, cause of death, and and I'm going to get the ages wrong, but. And people, it, this is in Nebraska, and people from ages, I think it's 14 to like 34, maybe the second leading cause of death. Like we don't hear about that. And there's like 40 some thousand, 45,000 or so a year suicides in the United States. And anyways, but yeah, yeah it's um, statistics that are horrific. And again, not nearly talked about enough. And there's things we can, I don't know, just things we need to talk about and do and I mean, I hate to say it, but like, you know, I mean, unfortunately, you know, you, you know, this and Debbie knows this, like you turn the news on and you hear about some hor- a horrible tragic accident with someone attacked by a shark, you know? Yeah. But no, you know, there's more rare. You, much, I mean, like, like Debbie said, you know, the, the numbers who, um, who struggle with mental illness are just off the charts. Those who end up uh, dying by suicide is horrific. Yeah. 40,000 right. a year. And it, like those numbers, like it, it ends up being where like you're like it's you don't meet a lot of people who aren't touched in some way by it, like even just peripheral, like maybe not immediate family, but a friend or peripheral or, or someone they knew or someone who knew someone. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's why it's so important. That, that's why it's so important. We do this as a community and come together um, to to be there for each other, but also to like to make sure that everyone knows how to find help if they need it or, or, yes, or, you know, find the support if they need it. Um, I guess, like, again, thank you for coming on and thank you for like sharing your story, but I, I guess the lot where I want to leave it before we talk about the future of the game, maybe, cause I know we call it annual cause we're having it every year, but, yeah. but De- Debbie, tell me, like, tell the, tell the listeners a little bit more about Joe, like, like what high school did he go to? Like, what, what was, what was he like as he came through the Omaha soccer community uh, for those who, for those who didn't know him? Um, Joey was, I mean, he had quite the personality, he had this beautiful smile and again, um, could bring like, he was a, an all-inclusive guy. He would get anybody and everybody to do what he was doing just because Joe was doing it. And um, he was a great soccer player. He went to Westside. Well, he went to all the Westside schools. He went to Sunset Elementary and then through Westside High School, played soccer for Westside all four years and played club for sporting. Omaha FC, which became sporting. In Nebraska. It was, yeah. it was Gladiator Soccer Club back in the early days. So. <laughs> yeah. And before that, YMCA. I, YMCA. So he started like, you know, I mean, we started at the bottom, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, he was. Again, just brought lots and lots of people together at Drury. He went to Drury University to play soccer and um, he didn't know anybody there. And he actually like quite a few of his friends are coming up for the game. And the one um, the ones that are actually ending up coming up are his international friends are the ones that are able to. But they're from like where from Scotland, Ireland, Nigeria, France. France, um, So, yeah, I mean, and he was the one that kind of brought. They, they would call him as the, their favorite North or, you know, like their best North American friend. And he would bring <laughs> Americans together with the internationals. And 
they had an amazing, amazing team, especially their first year was incredible. But um, yeah, like anybody, like Joy was talked about as genuine. He just was a genuine person that cared about, I mean, everybody. He, we always say live like Joe and he loved to help people, loved to make people smile, which he just, both of those things he did all the time. And he loved life, which is ironic, but he loved life until- well, it's kind of like, you know, like, so we say live like Joe and, you know, now that we're, um, you know, we're huge uh, advocates for suicide prevention. I mean, live like Joe is live, you know? Yep. And then, and then there's the Joe part, which is, which is personal to us, but we, we like to share that, like Debbie said, and that's, you know, like a, he was an outgoing person and he, as Debbie indicated, he, he could like walk into a room and bring people together. You know, he had no, uh, he wasn't a shy person in that regards. Um, I'd say so. that as far as like um, helping people and making people smile is that I would add to, and that's something that we're going to put in the program for the game is that, um, that you um, help yourself, make sure that you're not just helping others. Um, I think yep. Joey, Joey was doing so, so, so much so well. And like looking back, it was, too much and we didn't know it he didn't know it but um help yourself and also if you're not smiling or if you're not loving life um then i mean and even if when you are loving life talk to people just tell them how you're feeling so many people everybody has mental health everybody has good and bad days and there's hope forever until there isn't and um i just want I just don't ever want this to happen to anybody again just talk 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 and um, it's unfortunate yeah. Joe that you know as a as a life-threatening illness um there's no tests that you can medically do right. for the for, for people who are at risk and so that's again where Debbie's Debbie and I have learned like you just you got to talk about it I mean you can't and there there are signs and if you if you go to some of the resources that are out there like Kim Foundation uh, more tomorrow's any.org uh, afsp afsp nebraska you can read about these and we encourage everybody to look into that even if they don't think oh well that's not something that's going to happen to me or my family know the signs know the risks and um because you, because then you can't you can't take someone you can't measure their temperature or test their blood and say oh they're at risk you know um they they could be hiding it very well and uh and unfortunately yeah, not intentionally. Right. Yeah, like you, well, you, like you, you brought up a great point. The one that I'd like to, to go back to when you said about checking in every year at your physical. Like every year at your physical, they can they can test your cholesterol, they can test your cell yeah. count, your weight, all that stuff. But unless there's no test, there's no, there's nothing unless you hard, you you talk about it um, yeah. with with your physician for them to find it, but. There's something about, for some reason, I don't know when and where, but mental health or mental illness just got a bad, like it's just got the bad rap that you just don't talk about it. It's not as important as physical health. Well, why isn't it? Your brain is an organ that pretty much is in charge of everything in your body and it can get sick. So we like to even say that it's a brain illness because maybe, or a brain sickness. And maybe people will realize that, hey, you know, mental illness kind of has that stigma, but maybe a brain illness or brain sickness won't have as much of a and that's where like too like you know athletes student athletes who are expected to be strong and fight through uh adversity and you know pain you know that's kind of a uh a 
you know, unfortunately, a calling card for some something they may be at risk at otherwise. Not everybody, but it's it's something that that you know it's that that quality that you know coaches like also puts young people at risk. You know, because, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so, which I'm sure I'll talk about in your next part yeah. podcast. It sounds like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think that it's important to, I think we always, we have you on every year to continue the conversation and, and your insight's so valuable. Um, well, thank it, you. It's very heart and it's, it's heartfelt, but it, I mean, I know it's also, there are parts of it, like Debbie said, that are heartbreaking. Um, and, but it's, it's really important. And like it, it's, I personally, I think it's very brave and helpful for everyone. So thank you. Um, yeah thank you obviously come out to the the what the west side high school for the for the game 11 a.m roughly and then afterwards the live like joe party at countryside village and casual point uh where do you want to take the game do you want it to continue like how do you want it to continue to grow um what what are, are there any future plans or are we just taking it year by year we're not sure yeah we've i mean there are some future plans. We're not sure which way to go. We love having it at West side because that's so joey and it's kind of, it's home. Yeah. It's home. And it's just fun to bring all of the people that knew him and loved him and then bringing in all the people that they know too, that didn't know Joey, just bringing them there. Um, I don't know. There's also been, Doug has some bigger ideas. Yeah. We we have some thoughts. Yeah. Potentially, um, you know, we, we are in some talks with some local, you know, soccer uh, organizations to, you know, that are on a, a bigger level than us, which we think will broaden the message, which could be helpful. Um, we're, we're learning as we go. So yeah. uh, we, we definitely want to continue to share the message. And if we can increase that, uh, the reach, you know, through your work and also through other organizations, we will absolutely do that. So it's kind of, it's a touch and go right now. Okay. Well, that's, I, I'm just glad that's going to continue happening. I'll be coming back from a wedding in Minneapolis, but I'll be, I am hoping to make it over for the, the party at the casual pint so that I can maybe win a raffle or contribute to, and <laughs> well, maybe win a raffle, definitely contribute to the dollar per pint. Uh, there you go. Yes, right. so, um, awesome. again, thank, thank you again you. for coming right. on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. I'll see you Saturday. Thanks everybody. Thank you to the fairs for being willing to talk about their story and for the work they have put into not only helping others, but also honoring their son. Conversations like that are never easy, but they are important. Please consider supporting the Joe Fair Memorial Game in any way that you possibly can. Details will be found in the podcast description as well as on our social media. Next up, we have Dr. Julie Spencer and Dr. Megan Fruth from Creighton University. I'm very excited to bring these two and their information to this platform for all of the listeners to this podcast. Dr. Spencer and Dr. Fruth are psychologists at Creighton University and they work with Creighton University student athletes. Dr. Julie Spencer received her PhD in clinical psychology from Idaho State University. She completed her pre-doctoral internship at Iowa State University and her post-doctoral internship at Washington State University Athletic Medicine. She's currently a psychologist for Creighton Athletics. As a psychologist, Dr. Spencer specializes in working with collegiate athletes. Her work includes discussing mindset, mental toughness, and performance anxiety, along with treating general mental health concerns such as anxiety, depression, trauma, 
OCD, and disordered eating. Dr. Spencer also provides team-based interventions to improve cohesion and communication, along with providing mental health workshops to the Creighton Blue Jay athletes. Dr. Megan Fruth completed her PhD in clinical psychology at the California School of Professional Psychology at Alliant International University, San Diego. Currently, she is working at Creighton University in the Student Counseling Center and works with both students and student-athletes. Prior to her time at Creighton, Megan earned MS in Sport and Exercise Science from Brunel University in London, where she wrote her dissertation on the psychology of injury among professional soccer players. Megan's training is primarily in evidence-based therapies, and her therapeutic approach is supportive, focused, skills-based, and goal-oriented. Prior to graduate school, Megan was a collegiate athlete and coach for the track and field and volleyball teams at Occidental College in Los Angeles. You've heard absolutely enough from me. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Spencer and Dr. Fruth from Creighton University Athletics. All right, and today uh, I'm joined with uh, Dr. Megan Fruth and Dr. Julie Spencer, um, both employees from Creighton University like myself, but we're going to kind of take our Creighton hats off and just talk about sports psychology and then as well as uh, mental wellness and mental health in our athletes and even per, uh, perhaps our coaches. Uh, but thank you to both for joining me and, and for providing the information to all the listeners of this podcast because I know that there's a lot of listeners who are excited about this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having us. So to start off, this, because this podcast is listened to by everyone from youth, soccer parents, all the way up through college, student athletes, um, what are some of the things that you are seeing that are that are really prevalent in the mental health and mental wellness space with athletes in, in like this current generation? Yeah, so the most common across the board, and this is true for both athletes and non-athletes to be fair, the big three are depression, anxiety, and stress, especially within a young adult population. That is often what we see is bringing people into treatment. That being said, other common things that we see with athletes in particular, so disordered eating is incredibly common. I don't know the number, but astronomically higher rates among athletes. And then we also see about double the rates of OCD. So for a college athlete, they're going to have a about double the risk for OCD compared to a non-college athlete at that time, which most people actually don't talk about, don't actually know that that's a thing. And then just other kind of more common, maybe not necessarily diagnosable things, but a lot of relationship difficulties. We see issues with injury being the onset for an adjustment disorder of sorts. And then a big one that's not as often talked about is just being a young adult in the world and managing their daily tasks, becoming an adult, understanding their own identities, day-to-day stuff, and then also managing academics and sport on top of that is just the perfect storm for distress. So sometimes it's not always criteria for major depressive disorder or anxiety disorder. Sometimes it's just a lot on the plate and no tools or skills to know how to manage those things. And I guess the follow-up to that is there is a lot going on for the student athletes or the athletes and just or just general population of young people why are why do we hear the comment of why well, didn't know like we didn't have this many student athletes who were anxious 
you know, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, um, or weren't suffering with all these things 20 years ago or 40 years ago, um, why, why do you think that's a comment and what do you think plays into that, Megan? Yeah, I have actually gotten this question a lot, um, especially recently, but... I feel like coaches who have been coaching a long time ask that yes, question. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that's, that's a very common question. I think there's a lot to that question. I think a lot of it is a lot more awareness recently, um, maybe in the last decade or so, a lot more awareness of what mental wellness is, what mental health is, um, even what depression is, what anxiety is, all these things that are super common among athletes and non-athletes, just general awareness. So people have a heightened, you know, they're more, they're noticing these things more than they would have before. I think that's, I think that's a huge piece of it. And just with the decreased stigma of talking about all these things, then it's just, it seems like it's more prevalent, but I think it's just more talked about now rather than more prevalence, if that makes sense. Yeah. And the thing I would add to that is with COVID happening, with the pandemic, that was the onset or the worsening for a lot of mental health concerns, again, across the board. And so I think that's something that has led to, that did create true increases in the rates of mental health. And so even in the past three to five years, much more short-term, those rates have really, really grown just as people had to deal with all the effects of the pandemic and isolation and being sick and all of those things. Right. And, and I think the, so like, I think sometimes one thing that is a little bit disappointing, like during these conversations, and I want to make sure that we address what those things are, but also move forward is a lot of times you read articles and they talk about our mental health crisis is worse. Our mental health crisis is worse. It's worse amongst student athletes. It's worse amongst student athletes, but it never really offers any like solutions for people who are reading this or people who are seeing this or people who are experiencing this. So I kind of want to make sure that we dive into that, not just for student athletes, but what can coaches do more? What can, what can fans do more? And what, how can we learn to grow as a society? So starting with younger athletes, so before college into high school and maybe even younger what are some things that parents can do to be proactive in the discussion to make sure that their children are taken care of both in their mental wellness and their mental health? Mm-hmm. Good question. There's a lot, we could probably talk about that yeah, for, yeah. Probably a lot, like, for <laughs> ages here. I, from my perspective, I would say the biggest thing for anybody, for a parent, coach, um, teammate, trainer, support system is just the willingness to talk about it or to check in on some someone and ask about their stress how they're doing and start the conversation most people don't start a conversation about their own mental health on their own they just don't do it it feels vulnerable and then you add being like a little kid or an adolescent on top of that you're even more unlikely to walk up to somebody and say hey i'm anxious i'm stressed you probably don't even know what those things are or have the vocabulary for it so i think the first thing is willingness to talk about mental health, mental well-being, use those exact words, don't skirt around it, how's your mental health, how are you feeling, and do it consistently, don't just ask once, don't just ask twice, throughout the season, throughout the school year, whatever it is, be asking your kiddo, have the coach be asking your kiddo how they're doing, how they're feeling, it's going to take a couple times before they are forthright about what's going on, 
And then I think another thing is being proactive about getting people in services. A lot of people, when they get to us, that first appointment, they come to us because they are at rock bottom, they're at the highest level of their impairment, and they're desperate for help, which makes a lot of sense. But a lot of people could actually benefit from getting in sooner or earlier. And so if you notice maybe the kiddo feels off or maybe performance isn't as good, maybe they're isolating from their teammates more, get them in for a consult, get them into treatment, get them connected with services so they at least know that it's available. That's usually the biggest barrier. And that's a step towards reducing stigma. Yeah, I'd agree with all that and just add like having being able to model what these emotion emotional conversations even look like or just being able to talk about emotions especially for young kids and adolescents they might not have the verbiage to say hey this thing has made me feel more anxious they might just not have that verbiage so modeling like if you are feeling particularly sad like label that for them and say like this is how it feels in my body or this is my these are the reactions that i might be having That way, if a kid sees maybe their friend or maybe they're even feeling like that, it's like, oh, maybe I'm feeling a little bit sad too. And maybe they didn't really have the words to put that into play. So being able to model experiencing emotions, talking about it, um, I think that's great for coaches, players, parents, all of it. Yeah, because I told, I was telling Julie this like a couple weeks ago, I ran into situations where I was coaching my younger girls team this last year where like the girls would come off the field crying or they would cry at practice and it was kind of like they couldn't put into words and so it was kind of talking them through about like what has gotten us to this point that like you know like is it is it are you hurt are you are you mad about something that's happening and maybe mad's not the right way to describe it so how do we describe it of Mm -hmm. how we're like how we're feeling yeah yeah and having parents know like what to look for and notice too i think is part of that because if you go even younger we're talking more about maybe like adolescents or young adults right now if you go even younger to maybe like 10 under anxiety which is common in athletes it's so so common in athletes anxiety in a kiddo or in a kid athlete is going to primarily manifest as like a physical symptom Mm -hmm. or symptoms it's gonna be like headaches nausea uh, reasons to avoid practice maybe so anytime you're hearing a constellation of physical symptoms that are atypical for the kid that would be a big indicator of this might be like a potential mental health issue and worth a consult or getting in for an appointment yeah what are good like things like maybe in our mental wellness toolbox or that parents could have in the mental wellness toolbox to help their their kids uh get better i mean like even not get better but like like create healthy yeah. situations. I mean, like I even have noticed that um, the app that's cut, like I'm blanking on it right now, but they've even started developing things for younger kids to use. Um, but like, what are other things that parents can use for younger kids? And we'll obviously talk more about what older yeah. student athletes can do. But what are, what are some things that parents can do to encourage or help their younger kids? That like toolbox things, like very. And it's not a simple issue, but there can be some yeah. small things that Quick can make go-tos. that can that can help mental wellness in general, mm-hmm. not just men, you know, maybe like not where it hasn't hit a mental health crisis sure. yet. Yeah. My go-to, probably for any age, is grounding. Nice. General sensory grounding. Yeah. Checking in with your five senses. Not only does that give a little bit of distraction from 
maybe a big emotion or a difficult situation that just it's going to ground them in the present which is going to make it easier for them to be able to control their emotions control their responses control their thoughts behaviors all of that kind of stuff so um, checking in with the five senses what can you see here touch all of that kind of yeah, stuff because that's like like the grounding thing in, in my experience has been like what are five things you can see mm-hmm. what are you know fo- like what are two things you can smell yep. what you know what is one thing you can taste like or whatever like that's kind of what grounding is in yep. my understanding yep. yeah, yeah. Okay. absolutely any, any way in which you're engaging your senses in any capacity with intention we would consider a grounding skill mm-hmm. and the nice thing about that that's an easy thing for a kid to use you don't have to have a certain level of cognitive function you already have your senses you know how to use them so I think grounding is great what I would add to that is we I'm CBT trained so I talk a lot about the principles of reinforcement and I'm not going to go into details as to what that is but the literature shows pretty clearly that Positive reinforcement is typically the answer if you want a behavior to increase and if you want somebody to basically grow in any capacity. And so what this would mean for a parent with a kid is when you see your kid do something well or even like try hard at something, put an effort in, praise that and praise it as quickly as you can and with immediacy and do that absolutely as often as you can and then pull back a little bit on the criticism that's obviously a huge part of parenting i'm not saying don't offer corrective feedback but make sure that you have a ton of positive feedback positive reinforcement that's coming with that and then if you want to get even more specific about how to be more effective the the general rule is praise effort over outcome so don't be like great job you won your match instead be like great job you're really hustling out there really well done I saw you try that new skill and so Mm -hmm. make it more about effort than about what they accomplished or what the outcome was Mm -hmm. yeah that seems to be like that also like bleeds into a little bit of sports psych generally of like and you can and I even remember reading in a book like the inner game of mental game of tennis or whatever that like Mm -hmm. you can hit a you can have bad technique and hit a good shot you can have great technique and the shot will go out of bounds. Right. And it's like, yeah. which one are you happier with overall? Like, long term, you're happier with mm-hmm. your better technique. So it's the same thing. Like, you want to praise those good behaviors because long term, like, that's healthier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's more encouraging for young people. Well, and you talked earlier about, like, why does this start and how does this happen? And I think this is part of why athletes are shaped in the way they are that can lead to anxiety and perfectionism is that if you're always praised for winning and if you're always praised praised for making the bucket or getting the goal, whatever it is, what happens in your brain over time is you essentially attach your worth to that. My worth is attached to me winning. My worth is attached to this level of performance, which it's always going to be connected to some extent. But when you when they get to us at that point, we have people sit on our couches that fully believe their self-worth is completely dependent on how well they did in their sport. And that is not course not the case and so I think that plays in here too when we talk about what we're reinforcing and if you're always reinforcing outcome it's going to become overly fused in the brain for that kid and, and I think that's where I think people get confused on that too and correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. I think that people are always like oh you're saying you're trying to like negate how important winning is and I think that there's a way in youth sports even with the youngest ages where you praise competing 
which is like yeah. more of the act of yeah. like trying hard versus mm-hmm. praising the winning because like again you can compete really hard and still lose and you, that's still a good thing because 100%. like comp- competing and an effort is is a good thing and yeah I agree with that. Like, is that is that a fair to say? Like, yeah. not necessarily like judging by like the comp, like that, necessarily the winning and losing thing, but maybe the like just the general thought of trying hard. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Because to be perfectly honest, a kid might not remember beating one specific <laughs> person when they were eleven. Right. But what they will remember is things that they did to adjust their technique, things that they can fall back on when they're in a pinch in a really tough game. Like, mm-hmm. there's certain things that kids will remember for a longer period of time may or may not remember one win or loss when they were younger yeah Yeah. and that's not also not to say that you can't be excited about winning of course i love winning we all love (laughs) totally like you still get to be excited and celebrate those things it just can't be the only possible outcome or Mm -hmm. the only acceptable outcome well because like the amount of times and i've tried to tell younger players that i've worked with like 10 year old girls team 11 year old girls team that I was coaching it's like like you are going to lose a lot like you even even people who win a lot of games if you play long enough you also lose a lot of games like you don't take first a lot of times so like if you only are happy when you win and you only get praised when you take first like there's going to be a lot of, like, unhappiness and disappointment. So. Yeah, and then Absolutely. if you're unhappy and disappointed, you're not going to learn from it, and you're going to back yourself into a corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so shifting more towards the older mm-hmm. student-athletes, like maybe later high school stages, college, maybe early professional if they're young professional athletes, what, um, what do you think is the biggest hurdle for those in like highly successful individuals to like I know we said talking about it but if they're talking about it what's like what's kind of the the next step for them or how do they continue to like live with their struggles and thrive with their struggles like what are some things like you've worked on with them in that regard yeah I mean my answer to that is come to therapy is step one <laughs> um, I'll back up a second to say here because you I heard the word barrier in there and so I want to say one thing on that and that what we see specifically with student athletes at the college level is they have the same rates if not higher rates of mental health compared to non-athletes but they have significantly lower help-seeking behavior so it drops to about 10% of athletes with mental health that actually reach out for counseling or do something about it. Do we know why? We don't know why. Well, we kind of know why. So the NCAA, <laughs> the NCAA did a study on it, and the biggest thing was athletes reported having hesitance. That's in air quotes. That was their word. Um, athletes have hesitance about seeking treatment. They didn't state a reason why. And then the second reason was actually athletes saying they didn't know, they either didn't know that their school offered services, and if they did offer services, they didn't know how to go about finding them. So part of it is a lack of knowledge or awareness, and then part of it is athletes don't like to seek help or talk about emotions or feelings or difficult things because they don't want to look a certain way. Once they get to us, like once they are in our office, have signed the consent forms and we start having a conversation, I think we'd both say we see results pretty quickly, like within the first session. Once they get there, just a lot of it's coping, self-care, 
processing emotions, skills for confidence, composure. I mean, it fully depends on what their goals are for coming to treatment. But if we can get them in, we have skills for days. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> Megan, you had specific focus in your education with injury, like mental health with related to injured mm-hmm. athletes. What are some things that, like, because like, I know that like whatever an athlete comes in for, they might come in for performance. They may mm-hmm. come in for just general mental wellness and mental health. They may come in because they're injured and right. coming back. Is it, do you use framing or like what do you use to try to get them on a, on a more, on a better track when they're recovering from an, in, like a long-term injury, say like an ACL or a broken bone or... Yeah. Maybe, you know, they've had some concussions that have mm-hmm. kept them out for multiple times. What are some things that you, what are maybe some of the initial things that you start talking to them about and where does it go? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I will say ACL injury is probably the most common that I've seen um, just across sports, across athletes that I've worked with. Um, and I, a lot of it is picking apart, I, Julie was talking about this earlier of like, your whole self-worth is not based on your performance. And I think that's a big part of returning from injury is realizing that you're a human and you happen to be good at a sport or you happen to play a sport. So kind of pulling apart those pieces of like, who are you? What are some things that are really important to you? How can we sustain you as a human until your body is ready to get back into, into sport? Um, I'd say that's a really big conversation and making sure they're just taking care of themselves. Um, A lot of times it's, I have to recover as as quickly as possible. My trainers and my strength coaches say I have to do X, Y, Z things and that's all I can focus on. Yes, you should be focusing on those (laughs) things. And also you still have to take care of yourself. You still have to make sure that you're eating and fueling yourself properly drinking water, making sure like if there's any kind of like supplements you're supposed to be taking, doing all those things. Maintaining your social connections and relationships. Absolutely. You're still a human, even though you are an injured human right now, you still have to take care of the human piece, right? So that's a big conversation that I have with people is how can we keep you connected while you are a little bit disconnected from your team? Um, And some things that I've done in the past is if they're going to be doing some kind of um, workout, if they're going to jump on the bike or elliptical, something like that, do some kind of cross training, do it near the team. So you still feel like you're a part of it. Still go to practice, still do team meetings, still be a part of the team that you're a part of, join all of those things. You might just have a little bit of a different workout. So trying not to keep them too far away from their teammates. So maintaining that support system and being honest about where you're at with everybody in your support system, especially the trainers, the coaches, all that stuff. If you're hurting, that's... You're hurting. You got to do something about it. We We can't just hide that. You know, we can't just minimize that because you want to get back into your sport. And I guess at the end of it, there's, from my experience as a coach, like, there's athletes who have had issues with trusting their body and then the anxiety issues that come yeah. with that. Like, you've done it once, I could do it again. Maybe I've injured my ankle twice, I could do it again. Like, how do you 
how do you work with those athletes or how do you combat those issues with the trust of their own body and the anxieties that come with getting into competition? I mean, I remember seeing some of my student athletes getting their first tackle with soccer after like coming back to full contact with an ACL or something or their first header after a concussion. And it's kind of like, there's, there's definitely nerves, not just from them, but I think teammates and coaches are anxious about it too. And then has a behavioral hesitance to, to do the thing. And so what I would say for that, and you correct me if I'm wrong on this, um, is a couple things. One, I would first, I try to reframe it with people when I can and even I conceptually think about it this way, that when you're injured and you're going through rehab and recovery, it's actually a really good opportunity for you to learn to be in touch with what's going on with your body. And oddly enough, most athletes are not, which might sound counterintuitive, but it is true. We're not taught to listen to muscle tension. We're not taught to honor pain and listen to what it's telling us. So I think it's a great place to start teaching people how to do that and how to be in touch with their physical experience. And then I have a skill, this is probably one of my favorites, but a lot of it is reducing the hesitance and getting rid of it when you're going to like kick the ball or shoot the basket, whatever it is. I've worked with a lot of athletes who are going through recovery and they'll be doing like their single leg squats on the injured leg. And they're supposed to do it and they just, they can't quite go down. They don't quite trust it. And then they get in their head about it and it makes it worse. And so what I teach people in those instances, and it's really, really simple, I say count backward from three, and then you you do the thing, then you do the single leg squat, you do whatever it is. When we count up in our brain, if we were to do like one, two, three, go, our brain knows we can just keep counting. We can go full five, <laughs> we can go six, seven. There's, no, there's nothing that instills a behavioral action, but something really interesting happens in the brain when you count backward, you go three, two, one, where you're almost trained to go instinctively. And so I have had a lot of success with that skill in general, like count backwards from five, count backwards from three, and then do the thing. So you almost have to create a new rule around it for them to follow. And then with enough reps, they typically start to trust their body. Yeah, that positive reinforcement of when things are going the way that they're supposed to be going. Check in with yourself, see how that feels, see what you're, yeah. where, you're, where your head is at, where you're, what, are your, what are you thinking about in that moment? And reinforce when things are going well. Yeah. Even if it's one single leg squat that you haven't been able to do because tore your ACL six months ago. Yeah. Reinforce. Praise it. Yeah. Praise okay, it. do this now. Yeah, exactly. It sounds small, but it, this is huge. This yeah. will truly make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think shifting a, few, a little bit more, I think we talked about how so, uh, mental health and mental wellness is being talked about more so like slowly this the stigma is going away slowly there's more knowledge out there but there also tends to be i think the negative impact maybe of social media i think people talk about oh social media is so bad and obviously there can be some really good things because it increases the conversation around things sure. but there's also talk of how social media creates the negative aspect of mental health because it becomes popular trendy. almost trendy to mm-hmm. be trendy uh, trendy to have trendy to be diagnosed with something or di- self-diagnose mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. with something yep. um what are the what are the hurdles or struggles that you've seen uh, maybe in just the last five years because i mean like you you all have been doing your education over the last five to ten years while yeah. <laughs> social media has come up in its most prevalent form <laughs> i will say i don't know if this is an informative answer but it's my biggest pet peeve as a psychologist and it's related to what you're talking about so many people 
sit on my couch and they look at me and they go, I saw a TikTok and I have ADHD. I saw a TikTok and I have borderline personality disorder. <laughs> I saw a TikTok and I have bipolar. And people that are self-diagnosing based on 20 seconds of information from somebody that probably doesn't fully know what they're talking about or is talking about their own lived experience, which someone else cannot make an inference from. So even the messaging that's getting put out that is typically inaccurate or at least incomplete, and then people getting to me and being convinced that they have a disorder because they saw a TikTok. Yep. Check your sources. <laughs> see who's saying these things. See who is providing this content. I mean, the same thing goes with a lot about disordered eating and body image and all of that kind of stuff, which disordered eating is very prevalent among athletes. And so there's such a big influence of social media on people's perceptions of their own bodies when they're comparing to depends on who's on their Instagram feed or on right. their TikTok feed, you know, so usually not healthy comparisons. Exactly. Exactly. So just be very critical when engaging with social media. Because I even look at it like when I was in college and I took like uh, an abnormal psych class, even my psych professor was like, do not self-diagnose yourself yeah. with yeah. the two paragraphs of information that we are going to cover in this. And I feel like that has to be the same concept of like deep diving on social media is probably not the way to figure out I mean, like, probably right. the way to figure... You've said it a couple times, but the, the way to figure out if you don't feel like you think you should feel, probably the right thing to do is to go talk to, talk to a, professional. a professional and yeah. see someone who knows what they're right. talking about. Yeah. And the other thing about this from, like, a heuristic perspective, I think this is confirmation bias. I, I think it's what it's called in social psych. Is like, you're always going to find confirmation for what you want to see or what you believe. So if you see a TikTok and you think, I have bipolar disorder... And then you start Google searching or looking at other posts, you're going to notice the information that confirms your belief and you're gonna not pay attention to the information that would disconfirm it. So you know, it's also a bit of a slippery slope and that when you start looking for more information, you're more likely to self-diagnose and inaccurately filter information. Dovetailing off this, we've also, Julian, I have talked about this off recording, but we have with the rise in talking about mental health, we also have the claim of, you know, something's not going right. We say it can sometimes become down to mental health, which is a very slippery slope mm -hmm. for everyone to navigate. Like, mm -hmm. everybody in this, in this person's life who's talking about it, because there may be mental health issues, there may not be, or there may be different ones than what the, the person is claiming. How do you, how do, how do we navigate that? going going forward because I think that is like one of the biggest pushbacks I hear from parents from coaches from peers of like well everyone just says mental health if something doesn't go isn't going yeah. how they want and then right. we have to back off because we don't it's, know it's like sensitive yeah again in air quotes on that one so I think what you're addressing is Oh, almost that like the pendulum has swung to mental health not being talked about at all to now being talked about all the time and people maybe using it in times when it's not accurate so mm -hmm. we 
first of all, I'll, I'll go on record saying I'd rather it be over-talked about than under-talked about. It's like, con- we talked about it as in the terms of concussions. Yeah. Like, we don't want to not talk <laughs> about concussions. <laughs> right. But we want to get the information right. Yeah. Because yeah. that matters. And so the best way to think about this for anybody that's trying to understand what is mental health and what is not... For us, we use set criteria and what's called our DSM, which is how we diagnose certain disorders or all disorders, and to meet criteria for, we'll say, like major depressive disorder, there's a list of nine symptoms, and you have to have six of those. It has to be for a two-week period. Like, we have time criterion. We have impairment. Having major depressive disorder is significantly different than, like, I felt sad today. I felt tired today. I felt irritated today. Yes, those are symptoms of depression. Those are also typical human experiences. And so if you woke up and you felt really worried once or you felt really, really stressed out because you had an exam the next day, like, yeah, that makes sense. Welcome to being human. And I think that part of what is happening is somebody will have a bad day or a bad string of days and they immediately go to, I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm this or that. When in reality, they're, they're not. They're having typical human emotions at a little bit higher level as a response to situational factors. Yeah, if, if they can't figure out exactly what's going on, oh, well, it's something mental health related. Mm-hmm. I'm not really supposed to know. It's this ambiguous thing that yeah. nobody can really put their finger on. But, you know, you're a human. In case you were wondering, you have emotions. Humans have emotions, and they're all okay. (laughs) All humans, all genders, all all people, all identities experience these things. Not necessarily diagnosable, but sometimes is, which is where it gets (laughs) tricky. But that's where you come to us, or you come to a professional and say, I feel off. Help me understand what's going on. Where do you both land on the concept of mental health days? Um, I think that there's mixed thoughts on... I've, I've heard mixed thoughts on those. I, like... I was a believer in it. When I was a coach, I was a believer in them. Um, I worked with coaches who were not believers in them. Mm. And I worked with coaches who were in between. Like, yeah. yes, we understand that you're having a hard time, but yes, you still need to come to practice. You still need to go to class. So, like, mm. where, what, mm. what is, and I mean, may, there's probably literature and studies out there that I don't know about, but what is, yeah. what, are, what are people, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts and what is the information saying about them? So I would say two things on that. And first of all, not every psychologist would necessarily agree on this. This might be a more personal thing. I don't even know if Ruth and I agree on this. I think we're about to to find out here. Um, For me, I lean towards pro-mental health day. Like we know the stats are high, people are struggling. We've seen, unfortunately, really high rates of suicides among college athletes. So I think we need to be doing more to normalize it and make sure that people have support. But that being said, you would have to have some regulation. This is just policy like how, maybe how many you get a season or if they use one that immediately warrants you know at least two more sessions with one of us so mm-hmm. structures a place to get ongoing support but I think the other part of the conversation that we don't talk about when it comes to mental health days is why is nobody being proactive on the front end of making sure that athletes are going to counseling do have access to services systems are talking about it coaches are talking about it and that's a big change that's a big ask but I think you have to do it on both the front end and the back end the front end being more proactive support before people get to that heightened level and then having that safety net of a mental health day or mental health days when it's needed because I mean I believe that they are needed I believe that it would help a lot of people not just feel better but perform better at the end of the day absolutely and my thinking 
similarly, yes, pro mental health days. When I was a college athlete, I, I wish I would have uh, been able to have some <laughs> mental health days. I definitely needed them at the time. Um, and it's just, it's interesting to me because, I mean, worst case scenario, if somebody takes multiple mental health days, okay, I don't, I don't really know, like, what the worst case would be. Yeah, that's what I always thought. So they get a little bit of rest? And also, okay. and also I've, I, when I was a coach, but also just generally, if someone doesn't want to be there, yeah. or isn't in the space to be there, like, well, is really them being there going to be beneficial to anybody? anybody? Like, right, yeah. them, the coaches, their teammates, the trainers, the yeah. strength coach, like, no. And then it gives them dedicated time to say, okay, well, I was supposed to be at practice from 4 to 5 p.m. Yeah. I'm taking a mental health day. Let me actually check in with myself. Even yeah. if they don't go and see someone, it's like, okay, now that 4 to 5 time slot, I can spend a little bit of time checking in with myself. Maybe yeah. I'm behind on 50 things, so I'm really stressed. Yeah, maybe I need to call my parents. Maybe yeah. I need to call my friends. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we talked about what parents can do we talked about what student athletes can do what can coaches support staff athletic trainers athletic directors do to continue helping their student athletes improve mental health and mental wellness talking about the availability of resources for sure and just talking about yeah, loudly Loudly. talking about what resources are available and opening up about how like how how are they going to handle mental health issues and it doesn't have to go into detail but like if you're if you're a coach who's like I don't, I can't talk about mental health stuff, it just doesn't click in my brain it doesn't make any sense Okay, so refer them to somebody who can, who can. Yeah. an assistant coach, a trainer, a strength coach, all of that kind of stuff. There's other people who can who can kind of take that on. Or if you're a coach and you're very pro mental health, you want to talk about it, you want to, you know, keep tabs on all of your athletes, share that. Say, you know what, my door is always open. I'm always receptive to conversations and just know like if things get a little bit out of out of my hands if it goes above my head a little bit then I know people who I can send you to you know I know other people who can support you through this so kind of giving the athletes a gauge of like where is your head at in terms of mental health I think that would be really helpful for coaches trainers all that kind of stuff perfect and yeah I would just say make the referral be willing to make the referral whether that's to one of us or somebody else on the the staff that they know is supported uh supportive of mental health that just get them to us in some mm-hmm. capacity and I I tell people all the time I've done a couple of trainings around like how to talk about mental health to coaches and um, athletic trainers and whatnot and I always always tell people I don't expect you to be a counselor I expect you to be a coach I expect you to be a trainer whatever mm-hmm. you are but I also expect you to have some willingness to at least have the conversation with the athlete like Megan was saying of expressing like I'm here if you need me my door is always open and if you're on the other end if you don't if you're not comfortable talking about mental health or you really feel like you don't know, it's actually okay to own that and to say, like, hey, I know you're really struggling right now. I don't know fully how to help you or what's best for you, but I can get you some resources. Like, just say that. Like, that's actually an okay thing to say mm-hmm. and to own. 
Because yeah. I just think it's with the, unfortunate with the prevalence of mental health issues and also the prevalence of unfortunately of of self-harm mm-hmm. and suicide like I have a hard time believing that there's people out there that it hasn't touched in some capacity or another yeah. so like even if you're not ready to talk about it it's probably important that you have someone yeah. in your vicinity that can so that the athletes or the people you work with have someone to talk to absolutely, absolutely. And they might not always want to talk either. It might be mm-hmm. you or might they may just... not, or they may not want to talk. That's the one thing yeah. I learned as a coach. I I learned that some of my players wanted to talk to me, and some of them wanted to talk to our athletic trainer. Mm-hmm. And some of them would like would want my athletic trainer to share with me, mm-hmm. and some would say no, do not tell my coach. And I like as someone who was like I was pro mental health, I was like. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why don't they want to come talk to me? And it's like, well, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about that person. And I think that that's something to to keep in mind, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if if the athlete is safe coming, it feels safe coming to you and asking for your support, the coach, trainer, strength coach might not have to say anything at all. You might just have to sit there and listen for however long the athlete needs you to listen for. Listening is truly a powerful tool that a, a lot of people don't think of but listening yeah. and just sitting there with somebody while they're crying while they're mad while they're frustrated whatever that can be enough yeah and that's totally fine yeah. more than enough mm-hmm. i think so i have one more question kind of related to mental health and then i was hoping we could pivot more to like maybe sport performance mental wellness before we mm-hmm. finish up the this one's probably a little bit tougher and i think I, I before we started this conversation I did have a like a trigger warning because like some of the stuff can be hard to talk about but how do you how do individuals and teams and coaches manage when mental health like the end result of a mental health situation is not good and I'm not necessarily just talking about self-harm or suicide but also maybe, that individual quits the sport, quits the team, does something that is harmful to themselves or others. Yeah. Like, what? How? How do we move forward from that? Because I think there can be. There's obviously grief, but there can be a lot of self-blame, blame, and I think it's a lot more of a complex issue than you didn't do enough or you did enough and like. How do, what what are the conversations that are surrounding that when you talk to individuals who are struggling with things like that? Yeah, so I think we could go a couple different routes with this answer. So I'm just going to start talking and hopefully something interesting comes out. <laughs> the first thing I'll say is like, because we do see this though. We see things at the team level where maybe something happened and the whole team was impacted by it, whether that's mental health related or not. We see yeah. team impacts all the time. Um, so we meet with teams. We will meet with a team as a group if something is going wrong. Sometimes they just need skill stuff, but that's also something where if there's like a major disruption to the team unit, one of us or both of us can and will go in and actually just meet with the team and allow them the space to kind of like talk through it. But what we're doing is we're facilitating communication with one another, with the athletes among one another to help them share maybe how they're feeling, what the impact was, so on and so forth. So I think that's the first thing. 
I think the second thing that that comes to is, you know, if you witness, if you learn about, if you hear about somebody else's mental health at a drastic level, that can be a, considered a trauma exposure. It depends on what it is, what happened. But that in and of itself is actually a pretty serious concern. And so that we would actually want a referral to counseling for as well to start doing some really like short term individual work with the player, whoever it was, or maybe multiple players on the same team to just provide them immediate support, processing, coping for whatever is going on. And then I think I don't. I don't know if I should say this or not, so you can edit this out yeah. if need be, but I think that we should have a conversation about the transfer rules and what athletes are and are not allowed to do. The conversation is changing, and I think that's a really positive thing, but I think for individuals that find themselves in like a toxic environment or a poor fit or for whatever reason that team or situation is making their mental health worse, I think that we need to have more options available for people to immediately get out of that situation, whether temporary or long-term, to attend to mental health in the moment. And I don't feel like we talk about that a lot. I don't know if you disagree on that, but I think more could be done there, too. I don't necessarily have anything particularly fruitful to add to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just think it is always hard, I think, when... I know... when I was a coach, I ran into a couple instances where I felt, I think sometimes you can feel like you failed or you missed something. Yeah. Like you, or you did your best as a friend, as a, as a coach, as a teammate. And you're like, you know, I, I think it's important that people talk about that too, because there, there's that ripple that gets sent through when something happens like that. Yeah. And that's a, I think a fair and normal response to have even though it would not be that person's fault or anybody else's fault, but it makes sense that people interpret it that way. Yeah. Stay connected with each other, especially if it's some kind of rupture within the team, rupture being a very broad term here, but like stay connected to the people that you feel safe around. Um, Yeah. And, and like you're saying this and we said this already like talk about it <laughs> I know that sounds like a very short answer but if something is bothering you talk about it and talk about it with the other people who are impacted by it which would be your teammates maybe your coaches depending on the situation okay uh, shifting to sport performance I think a lot of times sport performance we focus primarily on anxiety in sport performance what are some other and I think that takes up like a majority of the space anxious to perform what are some other sports psych performance issues that you've addressed in the space that maybe people haven't thought about or maybe maybe athletes have experienced that they didn't realize was a sports psych issue maybe mm-hmm. something kind of it's like anxious adjacent here okay. is like well that's fine i think yeah. i just think because i think we all talk about we talk about like anxiety being like the butterflies in our stomach, but yeah, like there's yeah. other there's other piece there's other pieces that it dovetails off of than just totally. butterflies in the stomach. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's things like confidence and like self-efficacy, perfectionism. There's so many other things, other big things that are going on besides feeling anxious before um, you perform. Especially, I mean, in college athletes too. There's it's it's a different population than 
youth sports right. and yeah. even even high school and you know early professional too yeah yeah and i would like anxiety is probably the best word as an umbrella term and i think when people hear the word anxiety they think about like you said butterflies in the stomach or maybe just like thinking a lot and when we talk about anxiety it shows up in multiple different ways so if you're more cognitive if it's cognitive anxiety you're probably overthinking things you're probably ruminating you're probably thinking about worst case scenarios if it's more effective or emotional it's probably like that fear that nervousness that you're just holding in that's in your body um might be more physiological of like the butterflies stick to the stomach maybe getting headaches so it shows up in different ways and it shows up differently for everybody. So typically we just first assess like, how is it showing up? How is that anxiety showing up? Yeah. I think another thing that we see too with athletes in particular, when it comes to performances, how people interpret or deal with factors outside of their control or like environmental factors. So I hear a lot with runners, if, if like the weather is bad, if it's like especially hot out or really windy one day, how are you going to interpret that? Are you immediately going to believe I am going to run worse because it's windy? Or are you going to think, wow, my opponents are going to run worse because it's windy. I just got an advantage here. And so even how are you responding? How are you interpreting, reframing these other factors that are, you know, outside of your control? Do you think sport performance issues are more prevalent or sports performance in psychology sports psych is more prevalent there are more issues in team sports or more issues in olympic and individual sports or are there just different issues in both both sections we i'm gonna i'm gonna be just i'm just so biased because i was you have background i have a background in track cross country so that's you know as an athlete and and as a coach that's kind of yeah that's 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 tricky because I would I'd argue individual however I could be persuaded otherwise it's just different (laughs) I think it's different types of pressure and anxiety for different types of sport and I I would also say that different or certain sports are more prone or more likely to have certain types of disorders yeah Um, I'd agree with that like I think of like when I think of maybe I shouldn't say this all sports have high pressure situations I will say that like tennis is a really high pressure sport it's probably one of the most high pressure golf is a really high pressure sport and so with golf in particular you see typically see pretty high rates of anxiety like that's a really common one um sports that have a component to body size and think about like rowing um wrestling wrestling distance running distance running much higher rates of disordered eating and so it just depends on kind of like how you're looking at it and how you're thinking about it but i I would say individual sports just have a little bit more you can feel like you have a little bit more pressure on you see i was and i thought i would lean towards individual sports as well mainly because like even in individual sports you usually compete attached to a team so you mm. still get the team dynamics but then like you're always harder on you. you're just like really hard yeah. it's a lot more like up like battles True. with yourself whereas like in team sports you may be having a battle with yourself that you end up having a battle with your teammates so it almost like takes some of that off of, out of your head i think that's true yeah whereas like Individual sports, you're just like beat, like you, you're like beating up on yourself all the time. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like in track, for example, if you come in dead last in the hundred meters, 
who did it? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, yeah, like it was me. You know, like, yeah. like, at least like in in other in soccer, basketball, whatever. It's like okay, if you miss a shot, that's one out of however yeah. many. You know, you know what I mean? Teams will shoot sixty percent from the field, so forty. Like if you miss one shot, that's one of the forty percent of shots that were missed by your team. Exactly. Right. So it's it's one of those things where even if a lot of the mental health difficulties are the same in individual and team sports, the way it's going to manifest is probably going to be different. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's accurate. And it's, it's going to come down to the individual level, too, of just how the person is interpreting their performance. Mm-hmm. You might have somebody that is on a huge team that made a really minor error and walks away and feels like it's all their fault and they didn't do enough and feels that way for three weeks. And you might have the opposite as well, where you have an individual sport and the person really does mess up, can't close it out, and walks away and is like, on to the next. So it, part of it depends on how the person processes emotions and When I even thought, too, that even like thinking of soccer, because that's the sport mm-hmm. that I call yeah. the best, is the mentality and the psychology of even the positions is different. Mm-hmm. Like a goalkeeper... You yeah. make a mistake, and everyone remembers that one mistake. Whereas, like, a forward, you can make eight mistakes, but you can score the one. And, like, if if the team ends up on the good side of things, like, people won't remember that. But you can still end up on the good side of things as a goalkeeper, and people will be like, remember that time that you let that ball go through your legs into the back of the net? And I, I don't know if the, do you do you work with different athletes, even within sports, differently? Like, not just based on their, like, Obviously, everyone's different, but, like, their positions or even maybe, like, working with a cross-country runner has to be different than working with a 100-meter. I mean, even when I was working in athletic training, that was different. Like, I always thought the sprinters were kind of divas, but... (laughs) As a sprinter, I will say, (laughs) sometimes I may or may not have... That's, I was that's the, the coolest foot in the person. mouth. That's a foot in the mouth moment for me. Today. Not a foot in the mouth because I will totally attest to. Yes, I may or may not have been a diva sometimes when things were going. When I was on a hot streak, I was on a hot streak. I just, you know, I just remember when I was in college, I would watch my these cross country runners, like, just be, like, ridiculous. They'd run all these ridiculous miles. They'd be like, oh, I. I have a stress fracture in my foot, but I think I can still compete this weekend. And, like, our 100-meter sprinter would be like, my calf feels off. Not tight, not sore. It's just, like, my calf is just not good, so we're not going today. And I had soccer players that were like that, too. But I just say, that's what I noticed when I that is, the, that is just the funniest thing. Um... We don't even need to go into. Yeah. We don't need to go into details. But you're you're not wrong, and I, I mean I'll speak for myself, but mm-hmm. probably for Julie too. If different positions in the same sport are going to warrant different things, yeah. mm-hmm. it yeah. might even be the same intervention delivered a little bit differently, mm-hmm. or we might have to go about things just a little bit differently when we're trying to achieve the same result. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So Perfect. that's where. Yeah, that's I what agree. I'm where where do you think I guess probably just to end it off because we've talked for almost an hour which is great yeah like that's a lot of information for people um, where do you think the the future is for sports psych like where do you think where where are we moving towards in terms of because like every every athlete every sport every coach is trying to gain an edge 
Yeah. I feel like sports psych is one of the places that they've like really tried to attack over the last mm-hmm. 20 years. It's been one of the things like but I still think there's a lot of ground that can be left to be gained. Where where are where are we going to be looking in 5 years or where are people moving towards that's going to be like this is the next thing. It's hard to say. There's a couple things in there. I think the most kind of obvious answer that I don't have a ton to say on is a lot of things are becoming tech-based, so we're seeing a lot of apps coming out, a lot of different... Virtual reality yep, stuff. VR, we, like biofeedback is really common, and so yep. I think we're going to see more people getting creative with that, but the problem is there's so much out there, not of it is not a lot of it is actually reliable. Well, and research, too, and, right? right. Well, and that, well, and so that's my second point, is I'm hoping for more research to, like, sports psych-specific interventions. We know the, the literature regarding the interventions that we use if we're pulling from, like, a CBT model or ACT. Like, we know what the research says. Sports psych is so new, but interestingly enough, it was never actually operationalized as a construct. Like, nobody ever defined it. People just started doing it. And so a and product, people started writing books about it. Like, you, yeah, can, you can Google yeah. sports psych books on Amazon. And, and anybody get, could do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the joke <laughs> when I was on internship is anybody can call themselves a sports psych. Nobody's regulating it. <laughs> so no. it's this really frustrating thing for me. It's like we need more science. We need more research done that is specifically dedicated to the mind, the heart, the soul, the body of an athlete. And it's starting to happen The fundamental problem with research is research takes a really long time to start, to finish, and then to be put into action. It's called the 17-year gap, which um, you can infer what that means. Like, it takes a long time from something, for something to go from someone's mind to actually be lived out. So my hope would be just a lot more research, a lot more specified interventions, and then, of course, always, always, always reducing the stigma and being willing to have conversations about mental health and wellness. Mm -hmm. Just more eyes on it, more, you know, more people involved. I'm, I'm hoping more, res- like, not more resources, but more, like, push into the resources. I think, yes. like, that's been the, I think Julie and I have talked about it, but, like, the, and you've been in the college athletics world where, like, there's, like, they call it, like, quote-unquote, the arms race of facilities. Yeah. Like, check out our facilities, check out our NIL money, check out all this stuff, and it's, like... How about check out mental health resources? And it's like, eventually, hopefully at some point it gets to that. Like, And I think it's starting to, and this is just anecdotal, but more athletes and more athletes' parents are asking about mental health during recruiting visits and conversations. And so I hope more of that happens. And I hope, again, that like it can't just be us. Like Megan and I love talking about it, but... At some point, it doesn't mean anything coming from a psychologist that mental health matters. And that's, like, why you're really great, Joe, is because you talk about it openly and you're a safe space for people. And, like, we need more of that. We need more people that are not psychologists or counselors that can start that conversation around mental health and then keep the conversation going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing tons more people investing in women's sports, attending women's sports, we can do the same thing with mental health. Yeah. We can have the great facilities and all that, and do we have, like, the, the people in the we, support system? We, we did, they did it with nutrition. I mean, yeah. like, no one was talking about training tables or fueling stations 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, they, people had them, but, like, it was, like, the minority of these schools had them. And now, like, if you don't have a fueling station, 
like what do you as a Division One school right. specifically? What what are right. you doing? Right. Yeah. Whereas hopefully I'm hoping that that's the direction that mental health resources and, and yeah. mental wellness goes too. Is if you aren't to you should be doing these things. If you aren't, then you're the minority versus being the minority yeah. that doesn't. So and I think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Well, thank you both for joining me on your Wednesday afternoon. Appreciate yeah. you taking the time. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this special episode of Nebraska Soccer Talk. It was good to be back on the mic. And special shout-out to Jack Hoover for editing this podcast and doing all the work that he did uh, during the state tournament uh, and with his team during the state tournament of the Nebraska Soccer Talk team with Owen Godburst and Colin Goff. Everyone have a good weekend. Make sure that you support the Joe Fair annual memorial game. It's a really important cause, and it's a really important cause to – uh, our local community and the Nebraska soccer community. Yeah.